This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Global stock markets suffered their biggest weekly fall in more than two years. The FTSC All World Index fell by 5.6% after a series of interest rate increases by central banks and the threat of an economic slowdown spooked investors. America's Federal Reserve on Friday said its commitment to fight inflation is, quote, unconditional. In a speech at the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum, Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, declared that, quote, the era of the unipolar world has ended. He said that America and its allies were living, quote, under their own delusions and blamed the West for rising food prices. He later said that Russia had nothing against Ukraine joining the EU. The European Commission this week endorsed its candidacy. The Supreme Court of Iowa ruled that the state's constitution does not guarantee a fundamental right to abortion. In a 5-2 ruling, the court upheld a law requiring a woman to wait 24 hours after an initial appointment for an abortion. A lower court had blocked the law. The new ruling comes ahead of a forthcoming decision by the nation's Supreme Court on Roe v. Wade, which could allow states to restrict access to abortion. Police in Brazil identified the remains of one of the two bodies found in the Amazon as those of Dom Phillips, a British journalist. The second body is believed to be that of Bruno Pereira, an indigenous expert. The pair had disappeared in the remote Havari region after Mr. Pereira received death threats for campaigning against illegal fishing. A fisherman has confessed to murdering them, but police said there were more people involved. Russian forces have probably renewed their advance south of Izium, a city in eastern Ukraine, as a way to penetrate deeper into the Donetsk region, according to Britain's defense ministry. Earlier, Ukraine's navy claimed to have hit a Russian boat carrying personnel, weapons, and ammunition. Meanwhile, the governor of Luhansk said the shelling continued in Severodonetsk, with 568 civilians trapped in the Azot chemical plant. Boris Johnson, the prime minister, said Britain would oversee a big training program for Ukrainian armed forces fighting Russian troops in Ukraine. On his second visit to Kyiv since the war began four months ago, Mr. Johnson said the proposed scheme could train up to 10,000 soldiers every four months. It had the potential to, quote, change the equation of the war, he added. Britain's Home Secretary approved the extradition of Julian Assange, the co-founder of WikiLeaks, to America. Mr. Assange faces charges of espionage in America, where authorities allege he illegally helped Chelsea Manning steal military files. Despite losing previous legal battles, Mr. Assange is likely to appeal the new decision. And word of the week, Chivo, the name of El Salvador's digital wallet, meaning cool, part of a scheme thrown into chaos by the falling price of cryptocurrencies. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. The pitiful state of mental health. The World Health Organization's report into global mental health published on Friday was the largest such review in 20 years. It paints a grim picture of unmet global needs. For decades, mental health has been one of the most overlooked areas of public health. Yet in 2019, nearly 1 billion people were living with a mental health disorder, the WHO estimates. 
anxiety, and depression are the most common afflictions. Thanks to the pandemic, this picture has undoubtedly worsened since the report was drawn up. In the first year of COVID-19, cases of depression and anxiety increased by more than 25%. The current economic downturn, social polarization, and the climate crisis threaten to make matters worse. What is striking, though unsurprising, is the poor availability of care for those who are unwell. About 71% of those with psychosis have no access to any mental health services. Globally, the availability of doctors and drugs is poor. And, quote, most people with diagnosed mental health conditions go completely untreated. Things evidently need to change fast. Business as usual, the WHO says, quote, simply will not do. Why China's Shoppers Want Fridges The, quote, 618 Shopping Festival, which reaches a climax this weekend, is providing an early test of Chinese consumer sentiment as shoppers in Shanghai and elsewhere emerge from prolonged lockdowns. Last year's sales from China's e-commerce giants reached an estimated 578.4 billion yuan, or $58.9 billion, during the festival, which celebrates the anniversary of JD.com, one such behemoth. JD started selling things online after a previous epidemic, SARS in 2003-04, kept customers off the streets. E-tailing has fared better than the offline kind during China's recent Omicron outbreak, too. Online sales of goods grew by 7% in nominal terms in May, compared with a year earlier even as retail sales overall fell by 6.7%. Analysts expect refrigerators and freezers to do well during this year's jamboree. People want to stockpile food in case of future lockdowns. There also seems to be strong interest in camping equipment. There's nothing like being confined inside to enhance the appeal of the big outdoors. Rethinking Shakespeare for All Shakespeare in the Park began as a scrappy experiment by a Jewish communist, Joseph Papp, who thought the bard should be available to all. Now a New York institution... The annual festival continues to stage acclaimed productions beneath the stars in Central Park. For anyone willing to stand in a queue from dawn, that is. On Saturday, it celebrates its 60th anniversary. The celebrations kick off in earnest on Tuesday, with a production of Richard III starring Denai Guerrera of Black Panther fame as the charismatic, hubristic anti-hero. At a time when classical theater companies around the world are diversifying their casts, the decision to have a black woman portray a white tyrant feels au courant. Yet Pap explored non-traditional castings as early as the 1950s, guided by his belief in democratic, inclusive theater. New Yorkers watching this summer's first show, which, in a world of strong men, feels especially timely in its depiction of a manipulative, deceitful, power-mad leader, will be grateful his vision endures. A German art show full of surprises. Documenta, the contemporary art show in the German city of Kassel that launched artists such as Ai Weiwei onto the world scene, opens Saturday. The 15th edition of the five-yearly exhibition is hoping to defy conventions. It will be curated not by a single artistic visionary, but by an artist's cooperative. A group from Indonesia, Ronrupa, has directed it around the idea of Lumbung, meaning communal rice barn, which embodies collectivity and shared resources. Their ever-growing guest list reached a record 1,500 artists. 
Yet even before its opening, Documenta has attracted unsolicited buzz. Its artistic directors have been at the center of a media storm after invited pro-Palestinian groups were accused of anti-Semitism. A budget scandal also overshadowed the show's last iteration in 2017. The collective's members say their aim is for even the show's artistic team to be, quote, surprised at what happens. That could cut both ways. Weekend Profile Pierre Polyev, Canada's Populist Politician At the start of this year, Canada was the scene of unaccustomed excitement. Truckers opposed to a vaccine mandate parked their rigs in the center of Ottawa, the country's capital, and blocked one of the main bridges to America. Among their loudest supporters was Pierre Polyev, a conservative MP. Police eventually broke up the, quote, freedom convoy, but its message is still being spread by Mr. Polyev, now the country's most talked-about politician and the front-runner to become the leader of the opposition Conservative Party. Like populists everywhere, Mr. Polyev fulminates against elites, in his case the sort of people who hobnob at Davos, the central bank governor whom he holds partly responsible for inflation, quote, gatekeepers who make housing unaffordable, and, of course, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the son of another prime minister. Mr. Polyev has Donald Trump's knack of talking about himself while making audiences feel he is talking about them. But Canada is not America, and Mr. Polyev is not Mr. Trump. In Canada, most voters are not as angry as the protesting truckers, and national elections are won or lost in the multi-ethnic suburbs of Toronto. So Mr. Polyev chooses his targets carefully. He can safely lambast the CBC, Canada's public broadcaster, but immigrants are off-limits. Thus, Mr. Polyev's core beliefs seem closer to the small-state ideology of Ronald Reagan than to Mr. Trump's incontinent chauvinism. Adopted by school teachers in Saskatchewan, Mr. Polyev grew up believing that, quote, the greatest social safety net we can ever have is, quote, voluntary generosity among family and community. He seems to have long had aims of high office. In high school, he wrote to a newspaper denouncing Canada's liberal government for raising pension contributions. He is inching closer to that goal. After a barnstorming tour this spring, membership of the Conservative Party supposedly more than doubled to around 600,000, a record for a Canadian political party. Mr. Polyev's campaign claims to have signed up more than half of those. His rivals in the party dispute that. His first opportunity to become prime minister is likely to be in an election due in 2025. But first, he faces a leadership election in September, where he must convince conservatives that his calibrated version of populism has a chance in Canada. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Chris Williams, Phnom Penh, Cambodia. North America, Jane Gose, Kihei, United States. Central and South America, Hines Sanchez, Panama City, Panama. Europe, Alastair Brocky, Sterling, Scotland. Africa, Hasit Raja, Nairobi, Kenya. Oceana, Inge Neuselder, Cust, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of Ronald Reagan, Indira Gandhi, John Lennon, Louis Armstrong, and Charles de Gaulle. The theme is they all have airports named after them. Washington, New Delhi, Liverpool, 
New Orleans, and Paris. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Jose Saramago, who died on this day in 2010. Our biggest tragedy is not knowing what to do with our lives. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.